0: covering all aspects of milwaukee brewers baseball it's time for brewers extra innings the podcast here is your host matt Pauley.
1: we do welcome you into another edition brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile my name is matt Pauley. thank you so much for taking some time to listen to this podcast we know there are a lot of listening options that you have so for you to take some time out and listen to this one on an each and every week basis. We absolutely appreciate that. Or if you're just listening to the podcast for the first time, we appreciate it and hope that you uh, become someone that uh, listens on an every week basis. We've got a lot going on this week. Our two guests, we are going to be joined in just a few minutes by Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor over at BP Milwaukee. And then later on when we go down on the farm, we're gonna do a somewhat comprehensive look around the Brewers minor league system with Brad Ford. We never get into everything that we want to get into with Brad, but he's gonna join us coming up uh, later on as we try to get into as many things as possible about the minor league system. We're gonna focus a lot though this week on the Triple A team because there are a number of individuals at Triple A Colorado Springs who are seemingly knocking on the door of the big league roster and we'll see when those guys might end up making their way in before we go any further though do want to give you our normal reminders our normal housekeeping items that we like to do uh, first off, if you are someone who listens to the podcast via Apple Podcast, if you want to take a moment and leave a review, a ranking, that is helpful for us. It helps us move up uh, the charts and more people are able to find us. So thank you to uh, everybody who has done that. And then if you want to get in contact with me, you can do so by tweeting at me at Matt on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air, or dropping me an email if you would like, matt.paulley at WTMJ.com. The Brewers are an odd team right now, and they lose on Sunday. They get beat by the Pirates by a 9 nothing score. They've already been shut out seven times this season in the first 35 games of the year. Compare that to last year. They had eight shutouts the entire season, and the offense was supposed to be better this year with the additions of both Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. And to be sure, those guys have done their jobs. Yelich and Kane have both put up pretty good numbers here in the early going. Maybe maybe you'd like Lorenzo Kane to be hitting a little bit more than 267, but when you start comparing uh, that to other guys on the team, you'll you'll take the 267. In fact, interestingly enough, as we talk on Sunday night, the leading batter on the team on the active roster is Jesus Aguilar, he's got a 350 average. The next best average it drops uh, by what 70 points down to 281 for Christian Yelich. Then the next one after that is Jonathan VR at 274. VR has collected some hits here uh, recently to be able to move that average up. And then the fourth best average on the team is Domingo Santana at 271. All it took was he's got seven hits in his last four games, eight hits in his last five games. He's jumped his average from 236 to 271 in less than a week. So we're still early enough where you can do that. You can make major changes uh, in your numbers in a very, very short amount of time. But there are guys on this team who absolutely are struggling and struggling more than we ever expected them to. In fact, we're going to talk about this a lot in just a few minutes when Nicholas Zettel from BP Milwaukee joins us. But you go up and down the lineup, numbers through Sunday night Orlando Arcia, 222. Jet Bandy, 196. Hernan Perez, 215. Brett Phillips, and this isn't completely fair because it's been such a small sample size, but he's one of 11, 091. Manny Pena, 185. And Eric Sogard, he's got a 100 average. Sogard is six for 60 to get the season started. He's drawn some walks, he's got a 194 on base percentage. Which compared to the hundred average, I guess that's a, a one way to kind of spin that number and make it look a little bit better. But uh, Sogard is struggling, and these are guys who, you know, from a from a Jet Bandy Manny Pena standpoint, those guys are catchers. You don't expect a ton of offense out of the catcher position. Not asking for those guys to be 300 hitters, but you 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 don't want those guys hitting 185 and 196 respectively still waiting for Orlando Arcia to break through offensively. And break through doesn't mean him becoming a 300 hitter, but 260, 270, 280 on a really good year. But, you know, if he can go hit 260, 270, that's fine. We're, we're not asking the world of these guys. We're just asking for them to put up somewhat more respectable numbers. And the Brewers offensively are getting nothing... Out of the bottom of the order right now, you've got your top few spots where you're getting a fair amount of production. Obviously, we mentioned uh, with with Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. You know, Travis Shaw has, even though he's only got 230 average, he's been able to drive some runs in. He's got 16 RBIs. Ryan Braun he might only be hitting 243, but he's got 19 RBIs in his 32 games. Like you can find guys in the top half of the lineup and see that they're still absolutely contributing. But in the second half of the lineup, bottom portion, just not enough going on. So you f- you don't feel especially good about the team offensively. They're not scoring a lot of runs. They're still five games over 500. They're 20 and 15. You know, a lot of teams out there, if they're putting up the kind of offensive numbers that the Brewers are putting up, you're probably really worried about their what their record looks like. Now the Brewers are being led by the pitching right now. The pitching has been phenomenal. Uh, this past week alone, you had some instances in relief that were incredible with the uh, Josh Hader going out there and going two and two-thirds innings and getting all eight of his outs via the strikeout. Jeremy Jeffress against the Reds coming in in a situation, runner on at third, less than two outs, facing uh, Joey Votto getting a strikeout. Like These guys are putting up really, really good numbers. And that's why I've still got a ton of confidence that this team is going to be a, a lot better than what they are right now, because I do think the offense is going to come along. But to me, enough baseball has been played now where it's got to start happening. I I am the king of mentioning small sample size. It is still, yes, a small sample size. 35 games is not a huge amount of games, but it's also not a insignificant amount of games either. 35 games accounts for about 21% of your season. So I mean if we want to put that in football terms, that's essentially being in week 4 of the regular season. So it's it's significant. It's not huge. It's not something that you can come that you can't come back from, but it's it's at a point where the numbers do mean something to me. And Guys have got to come around. So I guess the positive spin on this is, this team has not gotten going offensively. Guys are not putting up numbers uh, in the bottom half of the lineup, and they're still five games above 500. There are some good things to be said about that. And I'm also I'm a believer in, you know, be a 500 team through June, and then take off in July, and you're fine. You're going to see a lot of playoff teams that follow that basic script. Go play 500 ball over the first two, three months of the season, and then turn it on in the second half of the season. And more often than not, you're going to be okay. So there's no reason to worry about 20 and 15. 20 and 15 is a perfectly fine place for this Brewers team to be in. But where you can worry and where you can watch for for some improvement is for them to uh, start getting the bats going one through eight, because five, six, seven, eight right now not getting the job done the way it needs to. And, and there's you know that's not even including the fact that yes Travis Shaw has driven in some runs, but you want him to hit better than two thirty. Can say the same thing. Ryan Braun is driven in 19 runs this year but you want him to hit better than 243 you want him to appear in a few more games so you can even take some issues with some of the some of what's going on at the top half of the order but it's the bottom half of the order that absolutely needs to get going again on the program this week we are set to be joined by Nicholas Zettel from BP Milwaukee Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball but right now let's get to this week's headlines of the week
0: it doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week there was with Matt's Headlines of the Week.
1: A lot to get to this week, and injuries seem to be the big storylines of the week. First off, Stephen Vogt, he was going through his rehab at Double-A Biloxi, and he was playing on a Saturday night, went to throw to a second, airmailed the ball, did It just felt like the ball slipped. Didn't think it was anything worse than that. And then tried to throw down to third when that same batter, or same runner, I should say, uh, took third, and he ended up bouncing it to third and felt a twinge in his shoulder and had to come out. He has been brought back to Milwaukee. He's having doctors look at it on Monday, so by the time you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance that more is going to be out there. Uh, the one potentially good thing is that the pain is in a different part of his shoulder. If the pain would have been in the exact same part of the shoulder, then this would have been another setback with the exact same thing. And you kind of feel like, well, at that point, why do you just keep repeating this over and over and over? Obviously, there's a problem that needs to be fixed. The fact that it's a different part of the shoulder makes, oh, at least opens up the door for this to be a different issue where the first issue is okay and then you got to work on the second issue, but maybe there's still a chance for that to get fixed and for him to be back. If it's the exact same thing from before, you just wonder how many times can he have a setback and kind of reset the rehab and go through it before you don't look for other options, surgery, whatever it might be. So more information about Stephen Vogt coming forward, but not good news, not good news, uh, disappointing news. And again, you're not getting much production right now from the catcher spot, so you'd like to have Stephen Vogt available. And if it turns out that maybe he can't come back for the rest of the year, you have to wonder, does the team remain confident? in a duo of Manny Pena and Jet Bandy, or do they start keeping their ear open on the market to maybe bring in another catcher at some point over the course of the year? Sticking with injuries, Mauricio Dubon, who a lot of people have been calling for him to get the call-up to the Brewers, uh, mainly because of the offensive struggles of Eric Sogard, who was given uh, back-to-back-to-back starts. And couldn't really get anything going except for having a three walk night on Saturday and scoring a couple runs, which is a nice night. He got on base and he scored some really important runs in that game. But he's still not coming up with hits. He's hitting a hundred, and you would have you would have felt like that three walk game meant a little bit more if he would have done something more with it on Sunday. You know, the you could kind of start seeing a trend of moving in the direction. Sunday was certainly a disappointing day. For Eric Sogar But it was a disappointing day for everybody in the lineup They had just two hits overall All that being said Mauricio Dubon Um is going to have uh, his knee looked at by a doctor. He ended up straining his knee during a rundown during a Colorado Springs game on Saturday. So they're going to take a look at it and see if it's okay. Generally not a good sign when minor leaguers are being brought into Milwaukee for the team doctor to uh, team doctor to take a look at them. Now, in terms of people who are going to be back with the team over the next week or so, Boone Logan, he's got one more game to pitch. He's going to do that in Colorado Springs probably on Tuesday, and uh, Corey Knebel, a decision's going to be coming up on him very soon as well, as uh, he pitches a couple straight days, and he he could be back with the Brewers, may, maybe even when they open up that series against the Cleveland Indians on Tuesday. We'll just have to wait and see. They talked about the fact that uh, they would uh, really give him a a good look after he pitches back-to-back games for Biloxi, and he did pitch on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday went two-thirds of an inning with a strikeout. Sunday went one inning, giving up one hit, two strikeouts, and one walk. He threw 19 pitches, so he followed up a nine-pitch performance with a 19-pitch performance. That's good news. So Corey Knableby Boone Logan, in all likelihood, both will be on the Brewers roster and in the bullpen at some point before the end of the week. Probably can enable a step quicker. Than Boone Logan in all likelihood, but either way, both those guys are going to be there uh, very, very soon. Brewers do make a move this past week involving a bullpen pitcher, Oliver Drake, who had been designated for assignment. After you designate someone for assignment, you've got uh, about a week or so to either outright release them, uh, make a trade. You've got a few options. They were able to make a trade. He was picked up by the Cleveland Indians in exchange for cash considerations. So The interesting thing about that, very possible that Oliver Drake makes his Indians debut at Miller Park against the Brewers when the two teams play coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday. Zach Davies was placed on the disabled list this past week with a right rotator cuff irritation. And uh, he started feeling uh, discomfort in last Sunday's 2-0 loss to uh, the Cubs. Uh, he's expected to just miss one day. The Brewers have have some off days in there, so it's going to be okay. And uh, But uh, he is expected just one, one missed start. Anytime you hear rotator cuff, some red flags kind of go up, but everything that's being said right now is that he's going to be okay. And then we'll finish off on a positive. Josh Hader won the National League Reliever of the Month Award and absolutely rightfully deserved after what he's been able to do. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week.
0: After every Brewer's game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now.
1: Brewers x the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on. It's time for a social media conversation. Very happy to uh, welcome in the editor from over at uh, BP Milwaukee. His name is uh, Nicholas Zettel. Nick, it's always great to
2: talk to you. How are you doing today? Hey, Matt, it's great to be back. It's always great to talk to you as well. Um, I'm, doing, uh, I'm doing all right, I guess, given the... the um, I guess it's not really a laugh that we saw today. It may have been a laugher for Pittsburgh fans, but I was hoping for a better Sunday game.
1: Yeah, the, look, and it, they didn't score any runs. And actually, you you had a piece somewhat recently, kind of looking at the uh, at, at the club's offense. And now they've been shut out seven times this year. They were shut out all of eight times last year. And they, you know, that's a obviously that's a very simple statistic to look at, just shutouts, but this this offense was supposed to be better with the additions of Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain and those guys are doing for the most part what they're supposed to be doing but when you have a couple catchers who are both uh, are under or around 200 when Aaron Perez is basically a, a 200 hitter when Eric Sogard's a 100 hitter when Orlando Arcia is a 222 hitter I mean it's really tough right now. Are you concerned about this offense that they've already been shut out just one less time through the first 35 games this year than all of last season?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go right ahead and say that I am concerned. And I guess more than than that, the offense was supposed to be better. It's more or less that I thought thought coming into this season that it was going to be bolstered. And, you know, center field – field was a real weak position for them last year, and um, left field also could have used some bolstering or, or basically the combo of left and right field, depending on how you move um, Ryan Braun and Domingo Santana around. Um, but but so even if, even if you didn't necessarily think they were going to be a great offense coming in, um, I have to be honest, I was just completely blindsided by um, the total... Total regression from um, Manny Pina and Ernan Perez and Eric Sogard and all those guys. So it's it's not to say that they were necessarily even at their true talent last year. You know that maybe you could say you wouldn't expect them to be that good overall every single year um, on a on a year by year basis. But it's just it's pretty surprising how how big the drop off is after those after those top few bats you know it's just it, it's not a really good look right now for the batting order
1: i have um uh, the, you look at this team and i've over and over recently said small sample size early on in the season yada 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 but we're now, you know, five or so weeks into the year. At what point, and we're still early on in the season. I'm not going off of that, but at what point in the year do we stop saying small sample size and we start saying, okay, maybe these guys are turning into who they're going to
2: be this year? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question because I think every every talent level has their own every talent level has their own their own aging cycle and their own progression. So the problem is is that there's no there's no linear path to look at each player and say, "Oh, okay, they're here now after, you know, 65 or 100 plate appearances. So in 200 or 300 plate appearances, we'd expect them to be, you know, in position X, Y or Z." There's no easy answer for that. So I would say I always try and shy away from using sample size ideas like whatsoever and say you got to look at the underlying uh, aspects so for instance um one thing the offense is doing that's really problematic is they're hitting they're hitting a bunch of ground balls and they're not walking enough so i know i know a lot of people like to focus on the home runs and say they're too reliant on the home runs but you can actually look at the batted ball um development and say you know what Maybe the issue is is that they're hitting the ball on the ground too much, and they're not being as selective enough. So those are things that then you could zero in on and say, okay, how can you improve improve that? And I'm sure, I'm sure um, Darnell Coles is working on that every day with the hitters. It's just a matter of, unfortunately, you don't know when you don't know when you're going to see those results.
1: You mentioned regression, and that's an interesting place to to look at that because, from a team perspective, this team. Uh, for the last two years has been very good. They, they've worked counts, they've drawn walks, they've fouled pitches off. You know The Brewers have played some of the longest games in baseball seemingly growing into this year over the last two years since Craig Council's been in charge because of how selected they've been at the plate and how much they work counts and make pitchers throw a ton of pitches. Last year, especially early on, they made the starting pitcher just labor in the first inning oh so often. Even if they didn't score runs, you know they were getting 20-plus pitches out of the opposing pitcher in the first inning. That doesn't seem seem to be so much the case this year is it was that maybe a a strategy when you don't have the most talented group so you try to you know kind of neutralize out the difference in talent by doing that and maybe they're not focused as much on that this year because they thought they were going to have a more talented lineup so they can be more aggressive
2: you know that's a that's a tough call because if you look at their, if you look at their first pitch production, there's some. Um, I've been tracking that over the course of the season, and there's some, there's some interesting changes there. So it's, it's pretty tough to say, on a, like on a day in day out basis. You know that that sort of stuff's going to correct itself from time to time of how they're going after the first pitch uh, based on who they're facing, but it, it's tough to say that the regression has or has not changed in terms of how they attack the first pitch. It's just that the production's not there in a key area like that. So, for instance, if you see the pitch that you want to hit on the first pitch, that's a huge, huge advantage in the plate appearance. And so usually you see first pitch production is usually very, very high um, compared to other counts. And so, and the Brewers have had this strength over the last couple of years. But this year, um, to the best of my knowledge, as I've been looking at it so far, that's that's one aspect where they're, where they're falling back. So it could just be that they're just not getting the right pitches that they, um, that they need for their approach and that, that, that set of adjustments just hasn't come yet. So it's, it, it's, it's almost an impossible question to answer without knowing, you know, what they're looking at in the video room and what kind of, um, data they're getting from the front office to talk to these guys about, or, um, for instance, if someone like Orlando Garcia is going through a mechanics change or something like that, imagine all these guys are working on approach changes in mechanics. So it's just um, the results just aren't there, even where you'd expect them to be in some areas like um, working with the first pitch.
1: Yeah. I've- Look, we're we're seven minutes in this conversation. It's kind of had a negative tone to it, and part of that is because we're talking on Sunday night, and they got shut out earlier today. But at the end of the day, they're still five games above 500. They're for the most part playing some pretty good baseball. Obviously, the pitching is a is a big big part of it. How is it impressive the fact that they are a, they are 20 and 15 when they've got virtually no production from the bottom portion of the order?
2: I would say this is actually, I'm really glad you asked this because this is kind of the double edged sword right now is that, um, someone like Orlando Arcia is, is actually one of the people driving this pitching staff. That they, they did a fantastic job designing a pitching staff that's going to feed, feed ground balls into the defense. And then you got an elite shortstop there, um, eating those ground balls up. So you just have, um, you have this kind of odd thing where, where the defense is driving the team right now, and the, the pitching is driving the team. The pitching staff is phenomenal. Um, the starters are okay, and the bullpen is just about as lights out as you could want a bullpen to be. So it's kind of a, an odd mix, but it's a it's a pitching first club, which Brewers fans aren't. I can imagine the angst from Brewers fans because <laughs> Brewers fans aren't used to watching pitching pitching first clubs.
1: It's been so fun recently to watch... Both Josh Hader and Jeremy Jeffers do their things, and Hader's been going and giving multiple inning saves, seemingly striking out everybody. He had the uh, the performance uh, where he had eight strikeouts, getting eight outs, you know, all via the strikeout. Jeremy Jeffers continues to get put in situations with runners on at third and less than two outs, and get out of them. Inherited runners just are not scoring against him, uh, and, and his ERA, as we talk on Sunday night, is point four eight. It's how much fun are you having just watching, especially those two guys do things that really we we don't see a lot of guys in Major League Baseball do?
2: Oh yeah, it's great. I love um, I love when Jeremy Jeffress comes in with uh, inherited runners on. He's been phenomenal. Um, he, he's I guess what you call like a true fireman. He's coming on. He's coming on almost like a Brian Shouse kind of guy when the game is about to get out of control. And he's just stranding those runners. It's great. Um, I think it, it seeing interviews with someone like Jeffress, Jeffress really seems to relish the role he's in. He's, he's one of these guys who's going to be extremely valuable, whether he's a closer or whether he's a middle-inning guy. And Josh Hader's going to be that way, too, when uh, Corey Knabel comes back. So you're going to have – I just can't even imagine how you prep for that if you're the opposing team, because not only do you have to think about canable at the very back end of the bullpen, but then you might get to see Josh Hader and Jeremy Jeffers in order to get the canable. So it's just it's a fantastic bullpen. I think it's been a couple years in the making. I think Stearns has been very, very intentional about how he's making the bullpen and now we're now we're seeing the results.
1: Baseball Prospectus is obviously an analytics based, you know, baseball evaluator or whatever you know publication, however you want to call it. How do you guys account for Jeremy Jeffress being so successful when he's a member of the Brewers and nowhere near as successful throughout his career anytime he's worn any other uniform
2: I think that's that's an example of the next the next level in the game where where these guys are these guys are human, and the type of organizational structure you can have and the type of support you have in an organization can be huge for these guys i mean um there's sometimes you're working with a player and it just doesn't work out. Um, An example I'd use with that is Gene Segura. I know before the Brewers traded him, he had a a year where they totally redid his batting mechanics. They worked on everything they could with Segura, and it just didn't work out. Um, And I think the same can be said for Jeffress other places. And he he had this great quote um, in one of his interviews where he said, he said something to the effect of, "When he comes to Milwaukee, he doesn't feel like anyone's looking over his shoulder." So it sounds like in Milwaukee they have the right environment where he feels like he can do what he needs to do to prepare and um, and succeed on the mound. And I think they have they have the organizational setup in a way that it's just it's an organization that's going to be the best fit for him. And so sometimes. What's really weird about organizations is that you can you can design a structure, you can get the right people in order, and sometimes sometimes that works with some players, and sometimes it doesn't work with some players. So I think Jeffress is just the type of guy where um, this organization clicks with him, and I'm sure there's other stories around that like that around the game where certain organizations just love certain players, and it just it just works out that way. Um, I think that's one of the most interesting areas of the game.
1: Uh, this next question isn't fair because there's not details that you probably truly need to be able to answer it, so I'm I'm asking it in a very general perspective. But when Corey Canable is back, let's say going into the eighth inning of a one-run game that the Brewers are winning, and Craig Council has the decision to either leave whoever's pitching in there, Albers, Jeffress, Barnes, it doesn't matter. Oh, and you know, have them pitch the eighth, and then go to Canable in the ninth, or go to Hater to pitch the eighth and ninth. So you've got either Hader for two innings, or another pitcher for one, and Knable for one. Which which option is probably going to make the most sense more often than
2: not? Um, I mean that's a tough question because they're all they're all extremely capable relievers, and also the Brewers. It seems. They are playing a lot of close games, so I hope it's not a cop-out answer to say all of it. I think what you're going to find is, even with Canable back, there's probably going to be some games where Hayter might be a multi-inning closer, um, and then you could you could almost do, if they're playing a lot of tough teams in a row and a lot of close games in a row, you could almost alternate some nights where Hayter pitches one night and Canable pitches the next, or, or the same with Canable and Jeffress. Um I think... I think Council has shown a really good propensity to mix and match. So I would I would just really hope that he keeps that up. I, I think it will be Knable's job in the ninth more often than not, but I think it's it's an extreme luxury to be able to rotate these guys the way they do. So my guess is they're still going to go with the best matchup possible if they can get it
1: certainly is, it's not even a problem, I was just going to say it's a good problem to have, it's really not even a problem, it's just a, it's a thing to have, and it's working out uh, pretty well for the team.
2: Absolutely, yeah, I mean, you got, I'm just looking at it right now, you've you've got a handful of pitchers that have saves, you know, you have, you have a, three guys that have multiple saves, so it's just, they obviously trust, they obviously trust just about everyone in the bullpen to be able to complete the game, so that's, I think that's a that's a true luxury.
1: You mentioned how good the relievers are, the starters have had some good moments and some not so good moments chase anderson struggled with his command in the first two innings on sunday he's given up more home runs than he would like as he's given up 10 home runs in what uh 45 innings so far so obviously that's more than anybody would like the second highest total of home runs given up yoli chassin has given up four. First off on anderson what do you what do you attribute to the high home run totals for him
2: I think it's command. I think it's command and mechanics. He's uh the starts I've watched closely of him. I've had a chance to track a couple and I'm looking really closely at his pitches and his selection and he's it just seems to me that he's working on something that he hasn't quite gotten there. Um like for instance in Sunday's game so far the so far the game day data suggests that he was trying to throw a two seam fastball much more frequently than he normally would. So, to my mind, that shows he's trying to work on a strategy. He's trying to he's trying to do something with his fastball and his mechanics that he he just might be trying to get things in order right now. So, it's it's kind of unsatisfactory to look at it because he's he was so crucial for the rotation last year. But given, I think Bruce fans have to remember he made he made a detailed mechanical adjustment already with his pitching approach. And so, you know, I think you've got to trust that he can do it again. That's not to say that it's guaranteed to happen again, but he's just a really good example of how pitching is a process. And that right now, this is just, this is just about eight starts in in his whole career where, you know, you got to look at his overall progression and just be confident that, if he's doing things like changing up his pitch mixes and things like that, he's working on developing his arsenal and putting it together. So hopefully we'll see that come together this year.
1: The team obviously in the offseason did not go and sign any of the big-name starting pitchers that were available, the the Ariettas and the, the Lins and the Cobbs and the Darvishes. How much do you think that's because they're excited about the guys who are knocking on the door? And I'll include Brandon Woodruff in this, who's obviously had an opportunity. But the fact that Peralta and Burns are right there, do you think they don't go sign one of those more big-name pitchers in the offseason because they are expecting one of those guys to be a major part of the rotation at some point this season?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think that's exactly the reason, and I also think when you look at that, they went out and they, they got Julius Chasson uh, almost, almost right away. They got Hulis, like pretty much almost as quickly as any free agent, I think, um, that was signed this year. He was one of the first like out-of-the-gate signings for the Brewers. And when you look at him and you look at Wade Miley and you look at Zach Davies and you look at this progression of guys they have in their rotation, they're looking to do something very, very specific. So they are lights out starters where you're going to look at huge strikeouts and things like that. There really does seem to be trying to build a rotation around um, like certain types of strike zone command and then um, ground balls. So that's, and I think also having Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns is, I think you want space for those guys to pitch. So I, I think more than any Brewers team we've ever seen, they're building a what you would call a pitching system. I think they actually have a very specific system in place where you can almost look at all the arms they have and say, yes, this is why they're a brewer, because they have these characteristics. And so I think that's what's going on with the pitching rotation. Uh,
1: last thing for you you had a recent piece where you went back and looked at the uh the Gomez Fires deal that uh that brought up over so, uh, so much talent and uh Santana, Phillips, Hayter, Hauser and, uh, there was an interesting piece in the Journal Sentinel at all uh, recently as well uh looking back at that and how that trade only happened because uh, a trade involving the Mets you know fell through, and th- that was that moment where mm-hmm. we all saw Wilmer Flores crying when he was he was out there but um, I-, I encourage people to go read your story it 's back from April sixteenth that people want to search for it at bP milwaukee and it 's uh, as everything you guys do at uh, at the website it's it 's so tough to encapsulize in a small amount of time during this conversation but my goodness, that that trade is a trade that just continues to look better and better on, on an almost everyday basis.
2: Yep, yep. It's an elite trade um, by Doug Melvin, I think. It's one, it's one that was kind of a weird trade on the day of, and I think that's why I wrote about it. It's because um, in the context of Josh Hader, you know, a lot of people want to argue, oh, he should be a starting pitcher, he could be a starting pitching ace, and then other people are fine with him being a bullpen one of the reasons I wanted to write about it in the middle of that debate is to show that this is an example of a trade that's working out and Hader really, Josh Hader really developed into a picture that no one had this idea in mind. I think when he was traded or very few people did, if someone did, that was an extremely prescient idea at the time, but he, he's just, he's just one example of his role has totally changed. Brett Phillips was supposed to be the sort of like superstar, potential future superstar grab in that trade, and now he's looking like an elite defensive uh, depth outfielder, and um, and now it's Adrian Hauser who might become a starting pitcher. So it's just it's it's a good example of how difficult player development is, and how much when these trades happen, you have to look at the full range of possibilities of what could happen. And so it's kind of funny to think. You know, Josh Hader isn't the starting pitcher right now, but Phillips is not a starting center fielder. And yet you would still say this is a really, really good trade because ultimately you got four very, very high floor dependable MLB roles out of it. And so that's, I think, it's a good reminder to think through everything when you're thinking about MLB transactions. That, and and it's good to think about prospect development too. Not These guys are not going to become their best selves in 99 out of 100 times you know they're going to become something else but even the something else can be very helpful to an MLB team
1: so I'll tell you a story and I I sound like an idiot I've I've got no problem admitting when I was wrong and I was wrong on this one I remember when that trade went down at the time I was uh broadcasting triple-a baseball doing the Colorado Springs Sky Sox and I had seen Mike Fires a ton in the minors when he was pitching for nashville when nashville was the brewers triple a affiliate and i always thought the world of mike fires and here is a young guy with a lot of cub club control and they make that move and my initial thought was why in the world would they put Fires in that trade? There's a guy with club control. He can still be with the Brewers as they continue to try to compete in years moving forward. I can't believe they included Fires in this deal. That was that was my reaction at the time. And Fires has has had some nice moments, but now when you realize that he was the guy that you had to include to get Josh Hader, I mean, obviously Doug Melvin knew what he was doing right there, and I had no clue what I was talking about.
2: Well, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself because I, I'm in the Mike Fires fan club too. I absolutely love Mike Fires. Uh, he's just the way that he worked to the MLB with his profile. I think, uh, there's just so much that's likable about him. And so yeah, I think I, I was really disappointed they get, they, they included them in that trade as well. But I think, I think your full look at that is yeah, you sometimes you give up these guys you're really disappointed about, but look at what you get in return eventually. And so, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself for liking Mike fires. I think he's a, he's a fantastic, uh, rotation depth, uh, pitcher. Uh,
1: before we let you go, uh, tell me what's going on over at, uh, BP Milwaukee.
2: Sure. We got a lot of stuff going on. We have a great weekly, uh, we have a weekly recap. Uh, so every week there's a, there's a recap of the weekend games and, uh, we've been having a lot of minor league heavy coverage right now. So I know even though the Brewers are contending, I know a lot of, um, I know a lot of people still like reading about the prospects. So there's going to be uh, for instance, there's an interview with Thomas Jenkins up right now um, that I highly recommend everyone to read because he's, he's a prospect people I think are going to want to know in terms of uh, rounding out the, the depth of the roster. So um, I, I just, I'd say if you like prospect analysis and and you want to dig into some areas of the big league team, um, that's what you can look forward to uh, during the season.
1: Nick, it's always great to talk to you and enjoy uh, enjoy your insight on things and uh, encourage everybody to check out BP Milwaukee. But thanks so much for taking
2: some time. Right on, thank you as always, Matt. I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate you having me on.
0: The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm.
1: Brewers X-Train, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy to uh, welcome on to the program as it is time to go uh, down on the farm we uh, welcome in a guy that you can uh, read over at Brew Crew Ball. He uh, does all their minor league stuff, or a lot of their minor league stuff. He's the guy doing the minor league reports on an almost everyday basis, and we like to have him on to kind of get an overview of what's going on throughout the minor league system. His name is Brad Ford. You can see him on Twitter, at Brew Crew Blue. Brad, it's always good to have you on. How are you doing?
3: Uh, I'm doing great. Got a little cooked, went to the Brewer game today, and sat in. I made the rookie mistake wasn't my mistake but it were free tickets so I ended up sitting on the left field line on an afternoon game and sitting right in the sun so it got cooked a little but still feeling good and uh even after a tough loss, you know, it's still it was my first game of the Brewers season, so it was still good to get out to motor Park.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny, though, that we're talking about minor league stuff because today was one of those days. We're recording on Sunday night. They lost 9 nothing to the Pirates in the series finale during the afternoon. Today was one of those days where so many things go wrong that a lot of people are calling for changes to be made, and that's where you start to look at some of the minor league rosters, and we'll kind of go through... Uh, the entire system and we'll start up top at Colorado Springs where there are multiple guys who are going to be making an impact on this team at some point in time. One guy who who knows maybe could have been here this week but had a little bit of a setback and he's going to be looked at by doctors coming up on Monday is Mauricio Dubon who's on uh, an incredible hit streak with the Sky Sox uh, and was was just putting up huge numbers. And with the struggles of Eric Sogard, there's been a lot of speculation that maybe Dubon would uh, replace him. We don't know what's going to happen with the knee, but what's your takeaway on the start to the season for Mauricio Dubon?
3: Um, I think it's part of the environment that he is, and part in that Mauricio Dubon is just a pretty good hitter. Um, At the end of the season last year, I described him to you as a safe player, and I still think that's what he is. He doesn't really have an impact bat in that he's not going to be a 25 home run hitter um, and a 60 steal player, but he is a guy who can make a lot of contact. He'll walk occasionally, but he is a swing first type of player, and I think that's shown by him hitting in all but two of his 27 games this year. Um, so, he, of course, he has the awesome streak of 23 straight games with the hit streak. Um, but he's not a power hitter. He struck out in 19 games already of 27. Not a great stri- like strikeout numbers, but not that bad compared to the hitter that we're starting to see more commonly in the major leagues where their strikeout rate is 25 to 30%. So he's pretty solid with contact, only has two walks this year, but will walk when you need it and can get a hold. He's a doubles guy, in my opinion, more than a homer guy, but he does have four home runs on the year, nine doubles, two triples. Um, And he can steal 30 to 40 bags in a season. Um, So he has a lot of his biggest tool is his speed, which really helps him out a lot, both on the bases and defensively. Let's him stretch things that the other players might not be able to make. But at the same time, as I said, he's safe. He's a guy who's going to make solid contact. He's a guy who's going to be responsible with his speed and not do the things that people are getting irritated with with Jonathan VR, where he's stretching a single into a double. Um, He plays the game very intelligently. And for the most part, when he does strike out, he doesn't do it in bunches. Every now and then you'll see a three-strikeout game. But uh, there's only been, I think, two multiple or three multiple strikeout games from him so far this year in the 27 so even though that's like his weakness at the plate it's something he doesn't do in bunches that really hurts you where a VR, a Perez, a Sogard right now are really hurting the Brewers by making dumb plays at the plate um, striking out in bunches and leaving those at bats and contact plays um, at home plate without anything to show for it so he, I think he really, I think the Brewers were really getting pushed to bring him up and hopefully this injury isn't something that's incredibly um, detrimental to him this season and it's something he can come back from quickly, hopefully only needs a couple days. Unfortunately, the fact that they brought him back to Milwaukee for evaluation doesn't really show that it's probably something that's not a big deal. But hopefully it's something that can be kind of dealt with fairly quickly um, because I do think he could be an asset to this team just in that they need someone who can play at, offensively a very smart game at the bottom of the lineup. And I think that's where the offense is running into problems right now. And uh, Dubon kind of solved the set.
1: Do you profile him as more of a guy who's going to be A non-everyday guy, or is he somebody who, when he gets up, at some point we maybe see him really? You you, even though Eric Sogard has gotten a bunch of starts recently, you you kind of view Jonathan VR as some version of an everyday second baseman. It, It does does Dubon profile out as an everyday guy in the big leagues.
3: I think he's one of those players who is someone who can start an entire season, and you're fine with but you'd rather have in a role like Hernan Perez was last year, where he is getting a lot of starts, but there's a lot of versatility. He has versatility in his defense. He doesn't have the arm necessarily for third base, but he has the speed for the outfield, so he can play center field. He has played center field. He has played left field, and he has the speed to cover a lot of ground out there. He has um, a pretty good defense at shortstop and second base. So I think ideally you want to be playing him four times a week to be getting the other players rest but not a guy who you're starting every day but i do think he's one of those utility type players who can play a full season if you need him to and still give you a reliable outing but that's not his ideal role
1: in the under the same category of guys who may end up replacing other guys on the big league roster at the big league level they're getting very little production offensively from catcher and I know that that's a position that you value defense over offense, but having two sub-200 catchers is not good. And we we don't have a good feeling about the Stephen Vogt injury right now. I'll be honest, I'm of the belief that jacob nottingham isn't quite ready to be that guy on the big league roster as a as a you know part of a two-man catching tandem that if they do decide that they need better production looking outside might be the better uh the better choice am i right or wrong on that do you, do you feel like nottingham would have a chance to have some success in a longer term role with the brewers
3: i agree with you um Nottingham is having a lot of success right now in AAA, which of course gives fans that itch to get him up because he does look very good so far. Um, He had a stretch where he hit three home runs out of four games after he came back down to the minors from his short stint in the majors. Um, I mean, when you're hitting a 636 slugging percentage, um, a lot of people are going to want you up, but this is his first year in AAA and really the first year he's truly been comfortable behind-the-plate catching and hasn't had something to work on, now he's just tweaking his all-around game to become even better. Um, He's made a lot of strides, and he deserves a lot of credit for the work he's put in at catcher to become a suitable receiver because receiving was really his issue. His arm has always been pretty good, um, and he's always been able to make those throws down to second, but really getting the ball and not allowing a lot of pass balls have been a struggle for him. Now he is a lot better there. But in my opinion, he still needs a successful minor league season. He struggled a lot in double A. His bat was better than his numbers suggested last year, but that doesn't – he wasn't having the type of seasons that he was having in the A's organization at double A Biloxi. So I think having this offensive success, getting back in a groove at the plate – while now finally being comfortable at catcher is very, very important for him and something you don't want to rush and pressure him into a bad thing. Um, I think actually that the Brewers have an answer in Christian Bethencourt. However, you do have to clear out a 40 man space uh, that you sign that veteran catcher in the off season to play in the minors and kind of help you in the situation that Bandy and Pena aren't doing it offensively. And, He, his numbers are amped by Colorado Springs as all these offensive numbers are going to be, but he's been swinging a really good bat, controlling his strikeouts. Um, So I think he can be pretty valuable to the major league team right now. And he has a lot of experience behind the plate. So he's someone who could probably get more quickly adapted to the major league rotation, which is another thing Nottingham would have issues with when you, he was up He was only catching pitchers he'd already caught before. Uh, People like Guerra, who had spent time at Colorado Springs. People like Jorge Lopez, Taylor Williams. Players that Nottingham had worked with in previous outings. Um, I don't think that's something that the staff necessarily trusts him with in handling a rookie catcher to call the pitches that these advanced big leaguers are throwing when they have no relationship um, I think that's an easier relationship when you have Bethancourt who has had to be kind of a journeyman over his career and switch between teams and adjust to the pitchers he's working with more regularly. I think teams are going to trust that more often. And with the offense he's showing, he's could be, I mean, can't be worse than what you're getting, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, no, that's a that's a good point. I'll say this as well as somebody who spent six years in Colorado Springs broadcasting games. obviously, 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 uh, that is a great place to hit, and numbers are absolutely buoyed by by playing there. I'm not trying to run away from that whatsoever, but I saw some clubs in my six years there that did not put up, you know just fantastic, offensive numbers it feels like and i'm trying to go back and maybe see which teams i'm thinking about but they're just because you're at Colorado springs does not always 100 percent uh guarantee that you are going to put up great offensive numbers
3: right you still have to be a good hitter um i mean you still have to have the high-end eye coordination to put the bat in the ball you still have to generate that power that receives a little bit of boost from the thinner air But you look at players like Johnny Davis, who ended up being cut off the roster, and he was actually okay at double-A Biloxi. He put up decent numbers, but then when he's hitting 118 and slugging 118, and the team finally cuts him off the roster, he is someone who had an opportunity in a great environment to put the ball on the ground and show off what might have been the best speed in the system. And he wasn't able to do it despite that good hitting environment. Having a good hitting environment doesn't make you a good hitter. You still have to be a good hitter to take advantage of that. So when you talk about someone we haven't talked about yet so far in Nate Orf, Nate Orf is not a power guy, but he's slugging 475 in Colorado Springs. His power numbers are slightly amplified. The 366 average is a little bit amplified, but he's always been a great contact hitter and a hitter who can hit for average. So those numbers are more on par. They're always going to be slightly amplified. So the 366 maybe somewhere else would be 310, but he still has to be a good enough hitter to make contact and hit make contact that gets the ball out of the infield. You that is a skill and a necessary skill against pitchers who are still pretty good in the early seasons. Of course, as you know, uh, the thinner air can make it difficult to get the ball to move the way you would like it to, so you can take advantage of pitchers hanging pitches that would normally be a a 70-grade slider that breaks beyond the plate distance is going to hang up in the strike zone and not break the way they want it to, so you can take advantage of those mistakes. But you still have to be a good hitter to take advantage of those mistakes. A lot of talent involves taking advantage of that environment.
1: And I, not that many people on this are going to really care because this is not the Rockies Extra Innings Podcast, but uh, on in 2014, the final year where the Rockies were the AAA affiliate of the Sky Sox, the team hit 265 that year, and while that might sound good, it wasn't. It was tied for 14th in the 16-team PCL. So that was the year I was looking for. That was a horrible offensive club, and uh, so it, it has happened where they've been not just, you know, not in the top two or three, but in the, in the bottom half of the league, so that is something to kind of, keep in mind you mentioned Nate Orff and when you look if if I were to give you the option of Nate Orff maybe let's throw let's throw Tyron Taylor and Kyle Ren in there as well those are three guys that we haven't really talked about which one of those three guys would you be most interested to see how their bat would play uh, at the big league level
3: um, in terms of who I think would end up having the most success compared to what they're doing in AAA I still think it's Tyron Taylor I mean, he's a former top prospect who really fell off these top 30 lists because of injury over the last two years. Uh, he didn't get a lot of playing time when he was playing. He was fighting through injury, so he wasn't performing well. Um, he comes this year. He finally comes healthy. He had a little bit of delay to start the season, but I think a lot of that was just making sure he was over what he needed to be over to. He got did get a little late start in spring. So catching him up to where the other guys were, and so far he's been showing off the speed that he displayed because he can be a plus out, defensive outfielder because of his speed. Doesn't have elite speed, but he's a guy who runs above average. Um, so he's showing his speed and getting a few extra doubles, a couple triples, and then also he's shown some power with his two home runs. He's probably if he were in the majors, he'd be a ten to fifteen home run guy in my opinion. Um, but he is the guy who I still think has a lot of potential of that group. I think that's the one who's most likely to turn who could turn into an everyday player. Um, Nate Orf is someone I, and he's heard going back to Taylor, he's only 24 years old. Whereas when you look at someone like Nate, Orf, he's 28, um, and it's not unheard of for 28 year olds to, um, excel late in their career, you look at, at a target of the Brewers in um, Whit Merrifield, someone who was connected to them in the offseason. He didn't excel until last year, which is his age 27, 28 season. Um, but then you have Kyle Ren who's also 27. Um, both of them are just high contact guys. They are very power guys, and they're, they're high contact, good defense guys. So they're typically more utility roles. I was surprised with some of the outfield shuffling last year that Kyle Run didn't get a chance, but... I don't think either is really. They're both undersized compared to their peers. Um, I believe uh, Kyle Wren is five nine, and Ty- her and Run is five ten. Where Taylor has more of that traditional outfield body at six feet one eighty five, um, and again, he's younger and has more potential in my opinion.
1: We've spent a ton of time talking about the Triple A team. One more thing on this before we uh, we get down to Biloxi we we saw Corbin burns on Sunday have a thirteen strikeout performance which from everybody who saw it live said that it was just absolutely spectacular his era though still four point five five uh, Freddie Peralta his era jumped to four point two five he had an outing the other day where he gave up uh, eight earned runs and three and two thirds innings the most recent timeout uh, three runs and in five innings those are the only two outings this year where he has given up three or more runs is is the maybe the only thing holding back a Burns and a Peralta from being ready for the big leagues is finding that level of success where, or rather consistency where we're not talking about the, well, they've done this, this, and this, but they had that one outing. Do they need to get to a point where there's a little bit more consistency there for them to be ready for the big leagues?
3: Um, I think the club right now, I think if they had to, Burns and Peralta would be called up if they had to make that decision Um, a lot of this is i believe young players freddy peralta i believe is he even 21 yet if i look it up on my computer i think he either just turned 21 or is about to turn 21 um yeah oh he turned 21 last year so he is still incredibly young burns is 23 and in in his second full season in the minors and currently what they're dealing with is an environment where these are two guys who thrive on plus breaking pitches. And as we talked about, Colorado Springs isn't necessarily great in the spring, specifically for breaking pitches. Um, you end up leaving a lot of pitches up in the zone. Uh, Burns is one especially who has shown the splits in 12 and a third at home, he's allowed a 377 average to hitters, a 1022 ERA, eight walks to six strikeouts because he is leaving his breaking pitches his changeup, and his curveball especially in the zone for too long because they're not breaking the way he anticipates so he is getting hit whereas away where he is getting the movement he's anticipating he's getting her in 19 and a third innings pitched he's throwing to a 176 average against hitters a 93 era a 0.93 era and two walks to 28 strikeouts so the numbers are a dramatic shift however you're going to still face those difficult environments in the major leagues. That you need to learn those pitchers need to learn what their pitches look like when they aren't working at their best and learn how to still pitch good games. And I think that is what's holding them back before they force the Brewers to call them up. If the Brewers needed to, right now, I think they would call Burns or Peralta up. Um, depending on the role they need. If they need a starter, I think it's more likely they call Burns up. If they need a reliever, I think it's more likely they call Peralta up. If they needed that, they would do that. However, in order for Burns and Peralta to force their way into the conversation, they need to show that in those di- or adverse situations, which the Brewers are giving them leeway for, the Brewers know that's a situation. That's why Jorge Lopez was in A Biloxi last year. That's why Brandon Woodruff wasn't left there for long. That's why Josh Hader wasn't left there for long, because they know that's a difficult situation. But they need to show that they can overcome those adverse situations because those adverse situations are going to happen in the majors, maybe not even because of your physical environment, but just because your pitches aren't as good as they normally are. So you need to still throw good quality strikes that make people chase when you don't have your best stuff. And once they start doing that, they force their way into being considered by the brewers and forcing their way into the picture. But right now they're just peripheral options should the Brewers need them, depending on what happens at the big league club?
1: All right, let's roll through some of the, the storylines from the other three affiliates. We'll start at uh, AA Biloxi, and we can't talk about him without talking about Corey Ray. And if I was talking to you on April 17th, we'd be talking about, hey, has he finally figured it out? Because on April 17th, he was hitting 365. Well, fast forward just a couple weeks, that average has dropped about 130 points to 234 at what point in time do you think that he does find it?
3: Um, So I do think he found it. I did an article about his mechanics and watching the mechanics are still consistent. He's been hitting into a little bad luck. Um, He's still hitting for power when he needs to. He had a big walk off home run. He still has gotten a couple doubles. He leads the her. He's in a tie for the team lead with 10 doubles Um and his speed has helped him stretch a couple into triples. So I still think he's there. He obviously has struggled over his last few games. Since April 19th, he's hitting 145, but he has 10 walks to 18 strikeouts. Last year, when we're looking at that number, it would have been three walks to 26 strikeouts. It would have been much more extreme. And the fact that he's still showing a patience to a 145, 284, 258 slash line while he's struggling, is something that's actually very promising to me. Biloxi is much unlike Colorado Springs, and it's a pretty hard environment to hit in. Both Carolina and Biloxi, hard areas to hit in for hitters. And you see that the, all of the team who was hot is actually falling down now. Troy Stokes was well above 300, he's now at a 250 um, average. Lucas Ersig was well above 300. He has the advantage of actually missing a few games after a very scary instance where he got hit in the head with a pitch. His average is below 300 down to 267. So the other hitters are struggling too. It's kind of that environment. You have to learn to work around it. You have to learn to make better contact. But when watching Corey Ray, he is still holding true to the mechanical changes that he went over in the offseason. Again, I wrote about that on Brew Crew Ball if you want to search it up. Um, It's very interesting. He took a lot of his pre-at-bat movement and got rid of it to have more of a consistent flow to the bat. He's rolling his ankles, so he has more flow to open his hips earlier. Um, His bat is higher, so he has a better angle at the ball to utilize his power. Because when you hear people talk about Corey Ray, they talk about his uh, batting practice balls and the prolific power he shows during batting practice. Giving him a better launch angle by moving his bat higher up and away from his shoulder is giving him the opportunity with that more open hip movement to actually take advantage of that power they're seeing there. And you're still seeing him when he does hit balls, hit them very, very hard. Um, His 34 strikeouts in 30 games is still a high number. A lot of that came in the first few games when he was really riding the struggle bus. Um, But overall, I still think we're seeing promising signs from him um, and impressive adjustments. I still don't think with those adjustments that we're going to see the player that a lot of people thought was promised. You're not going to see the second coming of Ryan Braun, but in the shoes of Corey Ray. But I do think you'll see or that he can still develop into a very solid major league everyday starter and i'm happy with the adjustments that he made after a really awful year
1: jake gatewood 184 but four home runs he his power seems to be playing his numbers are coming around in the first five uh days or five games the month of may he's hitting 286 was this just are are you confident that the maybe the trend and the trajectory that he's on over the last few uh, few days is something that might continue on?
3: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, Jake Wood has, or Jake Wood, can make giving him one name out of two names. Now. I like it. You know what? That should uh, when they do the
1: uh, the player jerseys when he's in the big leagues. His uh, his nickname could be Jake Wood.
3: Right. I'll get the hashtag started. I know he follows me on Twitter. Maybe that can get rolling. So, <laughs> so Jake Wood, as he's now known, um, he has struggled in the past offensively. It's well documented that he, along with Monty Harrison, did not play very well when they were doing their first stints in A and rookie ball. Um, but the big thing is Gatewood used to walk so infrequently that myself and my Twitter peers and some of the people I interact with, when he would walk would do a hashtag Gatewood walk alert with siren alarms going off around our or emojis going off around our text because it was that rare. He still has 12 walks in 28 games. That shows me that he's still trusting his adjustments and that he's starting to make more consistent contact. He's still striking out way more than he would like but that his adjustments are coming around and starting to come to fruition is something that I think is promising. And I think he's shown us before that he is capable of making a big enough adjustment to get beneficial performances, where I am giving him the benefit of the doubt in his first month, um, especially because, again, the power is still there. Um, A little bit about what came out of his adjustments last year was that he had more substantial power and he was more patient at the plate. So we're still seeing that patience at the plate relatively 12 walks, the 33 strikeouts. The 33 strikeouts is still a very high number. He's a power hitting first baseman, you're always going to have a high amount of strikeouts. But that he still has a on-base percentage that's so 90 points above his average is something to be to have a positive feeling about. Not enthused about, there is nothing really to be enthused about in terms of his performance, but to just take note of and think, like, all right, I think this guy can do it. Um, I, th- I think he's just adjusting. There, He's always had trouble with breaking pitches, and now he's seeing more advanced breaking pitches than he's seen. It's a new level, and you have pitchers who are throwing a little harder and have better pitches as the other pitchers start to get wh- weeded out. That Now he just is facing a new level, and he needs to make that adjustment um, but the fact that he's still showing patience and now starting to come around and make more contact, I do think is promising.
1: I'm, I'm still stuck on the Jake Wood stuff. There's there's, there's possibilities. <laughs> and you know what? Blues Brothers, Jake and Elwood, Jake Gatewood, there's something there.
3: Oh, my God. <laughs> We've opened so many doors. His yes. entrance or his bat, bat theme can be the Blues Brothers theme. Absolutely. Like, hashtag Jake Wood. We've started a new like revolution in Brewers minor league communities. <laughs>
1: Um, if only he was from Illinois, we could go with you know. Because remember, he was Maybe. Joliet Jake. This guy isn't Joliet, so but whatever. um Maybe
3: our, we get him to rewrite history.
1: Per, perhaps, perhaps. Um, from a from a pitching standpoint, there's a lot of interesting pitchers at, at Biloxi. We don't have time to go through go through all of them, but Nick Ramirez just continues to dominate from a pitching standpoint, and. Uh, he's such an interesting story. We obviously documented the story a lot during last year. At one point, we weren't real sure if he would be back in the organization. Uh, he now is what what's the next step for him? Because he's obviously proved that he has no problems dominating as a relief pitcher at that level.
3: I don't know. They brought him up to Colorado Springs as a very short term injury replacement. He did get a, an appearance during that, and then they immediately sent him down. Um, based on that move, I think the organization sees him as a nice story who's filling a good role and that they can get an, advan- or an older player who can have success in the bullpen to help them pick up their younger players and get them some wins. I now think that the organization views him as an organizational depth guy and nothing further. Um I would like to see him come to AAA and see what he can do in that environment. I think he has proved that he deserves that opportunity time and time again. He's proved that he deserves that opportunity. Um, I can see why the brewers struggle with that because I think he's taking advantage of some of these younger hitters tendencies to get the success that he has. But at the same time, that's smart pitching that's pitching to your scouting report. That's pitching to their flaws. Um, And I think any time a pitcher is showing that he uses his scouting report to his advantage is something that you should take note of, especially when they're getting consistent success from it. So I believe that he should go to Colorado Springs, and then if someone like Boone Logan can't make it through the season, can't find the success, you've signed him to a low enough contract where perhaps – you move him aside and call up Nick Ramirez and Nick Ramirez can be filled that type of role but I just don't think the Brewers organization sees him that way based on the way they treated him so far.
1: Then why in the world would he ever re-sign with the club because with the numbers he put up last year obviously he would have had opportunities with other clubs doesn't, wouldn't you think that the conversation between his representation and the club there has to be at least some assurance that he's going to be, be given some opportunity if he's going to be back with the team?
3: that was my initial thought when they signed him but it's their behavior this year is really just and the depth in the bullpen we're i don't know where if i see that opportunity for him you have josh Hader, you have boone logan you're about to have a couple dl guys come up and push off guys you already know can readily get outs at the highest level um i mean you assume that jorge lopez is going to get moved down so he'll be available in biloxi um, you will have Brent Suter, you have Brandon Woodruff, you have this advanced, more advanced crop of pitchers. I'm not sure, even with a couple injuries, if, he, if that opens the door enough for him. So you would assume that there was that explanation of, hey, we can give you that chance, or perhaps the scouts have something on him. And with the way the offseason was and the teams were, that were being stingy, There just really wasn't another door open for him like there was with the Brewers. Um, I agree with your logic. I think if he's going to come back, it's because they promised him or if he was going to come back, you would think it's because they would offer him and assure him that a role was there for him. But with an insurance that, again, the way they treated him, I just don't know if they really see him in that role. He has struggled here and there in the um, in a couple appearances, really only two appearances that I can think of, uh, where he's walked a few guys and gotten the bases kind of loaded and had someone else to come out with him, but he's also giving multi-inning relief outings like you're seeing with the big league club right now where he's gotten out of jams and come back and been the winning pitcher on record because he held the other team in check and then the Shuckers offense came back was able to get the runs they needed but they've had opportunities i feel to add him to the colorado springs pitching staff and here we are he's still on biloxi i i don't know what else he has to do to get up there
1: yeah it's 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 odd and i think it's worth talking about last guy from double a before we move down and again we're missing a lot of guys and that's just the way these conversations are going to go uh adrian hauser he had, he had one not-so-good outing recently where he gave up four runs on nine hits in just two innings, but for the most part, he's pitched pretty well. Sometimes guys have a hard time maybe bouncing back after that first big league call-up. Sometimes guys really excel uh, after it. What's been your takeaway recently on the way Hauser's been able to pitch?
3: Uh, it's been pretty interesting. The hard thing about looking at his numbers is you ha- really have to take them with a grain of salt because he's been so handicapped pr- until really his latest outing um, in terms of pitches. They're really being stringent with him coming back on his first full season from Tommy John surgery. Uh, they're really trying to limit him in the way they did Taylor Williams, but I think they know Adrian Hauser's best role as a starter, where they thought Taylor Williams could become a better bullpen player than he was a pitcher than he was a starter. So I think they view Adrian Hauser as a starter. They're just going about stretching him back out very slowly. So now you're starting to get it, see him get into the four-inning, five-inning stretch. Old, but that means any flaw in his performance, like you talked about, like that one bad appearance is really going to affect his numbers. However, his curveball has looked very, very, very nasty. Um, his fastball looks spot on. He's placing it very, very well. He has 20 Ks and 14 and a third. I think it's only a matter of time before he is up in Colorado Springs that they think that's the best move for him. That's the hard thing is getting in the Brewers' head and wondering what they think is the best move for a player because the other thing, too, when talking about how they adjust players is I do think they think there's a type of player who will will actually be hurt by going to Colorado Springs and dealing in that adverse environment. I think as a guy coming back from injury, they really want Adrian Hauser to have a level of success before going up there. Uh, His pitches definitely look ready for it. And I think uh, he's a guy who in late May could be making that bounce up there. He's also a guy who they've already shown they're willing to go to if they need a bullpen pitcher who can throw two or three innings to come up to the big league club and stay up there for a two or three game stretch. I don't think he's ever going to be someone they call on for an elongated stretch. Um, But I think he's very promising. And if he's the fourth piece from the Gomez and Fires trade to really come on, I mean, wow. Like, what a trade.
1: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. I had um – our our conversation in our uh, social media conversation prior to this was with uh BP Milwaukee editor uh Nicholas Zettle and he recently did a piece over BP Milwaukee breaking down that trade and uh the Journal Sentinel did a story recently that kind of talked about the the Mets side of that because there was a trade you know that was supposed to happen with the Mets the, the day before that didn't go down. I mean, that that would have changed the course of Brewers' history if that deal with the Mets is done, and it would have been nowhere near the deal of what, than what it turned into.
3: Right. Maybe you have a slightly better and more consistent starting second baseman. But, I mean, now you have... an outfielder a utility outfielder who could be a starter who offers you power left-handed power off the bench and has one of the best outfield arms in the majors i don't think there's much argument about that Uh, whether it's the best i think is where you can get in the argument but it's brett phillips arm is probably a top 10 arm domingo santana proved he has incredibly valuable offense he's been off to a very slow start finally starting to come on so that's been valuable Um, Josh Hader has been one of the most valuable pitchers in baseball to this point. Um, Clearly, he had a little bit of a bump in the road giving up the home run yesterday. But, of course, you can't be 100% perfect. Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer aren't 100% perfect. And I think he is as important in the bullpen role he's playing as max scherzer is to the nationals and that's i feel a very bold statement but also a very true statement and i think he's been performing as well as anyone um on the mound in baseball right now um so if adrian hauser comes and can be even a a number five pitcher a guy with a four or five era who gets you a few wins can take you five or six innings every fifth day that might be one of the best trades in baseball history yeah. in terms of how it worked out for one team and didn't really benefit the other.
1: I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, Carolina, look, this, it's it's funny. Last year, Carolina was just riddled with pot prospects. This year, not so much, but they do have the top prospect. And we've talked so much about Keston here. He finally, finally hit some adversity where. He's hitting 180 as recently of April 22nd, and then what do you know? He has just gone on a ridiculous run. It seems like he's coming up with multiple hits every single night. He's got his average up to 283. Here's a guy who, for the first time that we've seen, he hit a bump in the road, and it seems like he had absolutely no problem busting right back out of it.
3: Yeah, and I th- he really took off once he came back from a very short injury delay. I think it was a hamstring that bothered him when he was running the bases. He missed a few games, and since coming back, he's hit 404 with a 436 on base and a 635 slugging over his last 12 games. Um, and of course, unfortunately, the last 12 games have led to people banging on the door calling for Keston Hira to come up and fix the problems at first base. Um, which, again, if a guy struggles at A plus and has to adjust to that, I'm not sure what you think he's going to do at the MLB level when he jumps up two levels and still can't play second base, mind you. Yeah. Um, so people should really calm down with that. However, uh, speaking to Keston's accomplishments, it's, he, he is finding it. Um, the manager of the Mudcats talked about it beforehand while he was struggling. He did an article with the local newspaper in Carolina, and he did an article with Baseball America. In both, he said, right now he's hitting the ball as hard as he can. He's pushing himself and ending up in some strikeouts, but he's hitting the ball very hard. And eventually those hits are going to start landing. And once, he do, or once they do start landing, good luck stopping him. And it seems like the hits have started landing um, because now he's, like I said, he's hitting over 400 over his last 12 games, very small sample size, but he's finding a lot of success. Um, if you're looking for a critique over that time period, it would be that he has, I believe, 10 Ks to only one walk. Um, so, I do think at a point Keston is going to have to work on his patience. Uh, but if he's hitting 350, who's going to complain that he's only taken a walk here or there? Uh, no one really. And uh, of course, 350 is some hyperbole. But it, he has been, I mean, as advertised once he started taking off, um, clearly there was that bad luck. Uh, also, with the strikeouts, was some pressing. Um, And I think just seeing, we talked about it before, when you see pitchers, like we talked about Gatewood adjusting to pitchers with more advanced stuff, when you see pitchers with more advanced stuff, we talked about it last year, how A-plus can be one of those defining moments because A-plus is where you're finally seeing those better college pitchers who maybe were only in the lower A-levels for a little bit of time. Here it does have... Yeah, history facing them but likely not as regularly as he has been this year um so you're seeing more advanced college pitchers you're seeing high school pitchers who have excelled and have deserved to call up um you're seeing very good prospects with fair with some of the best breaking balls um in baseball and whether whether they can master them or not and actually keep them under control is a different story but they're incredibly good breaking balls so it becomes hard as a hitter to hold back and not go after those, especially when you know when you're someone as Keston or like Keston, who can hit that so well, but now he's clearly found his path. Uh, he's finally hitting his way out of some bad luck. And now the Carolina league needs to watch out. All right. Last thing for you. I'm just going to, this could
1: be a very vague thing because we're, we're running out of time here. Uh, wisconsin timber rattlers they've, they've been playing a little bit better recently 12 and 17 on paper maybe they don't look like the team that uh is going to have a ton of success this year who is the guy on the timber rattlers that every day when you if you don't watch the game and you're just looking at a box score or whatever who, who's the guy you're most invested in right now i'll, I'll put it that way
3: Oof, that's hard um personally it would be Zach Clark because he's a diverse center fielder with a good offensive profile who I think is going to go far. Based on his success and how astounding he's been so far, I would say it's Segovia. Uh Segovia's hitting 402 with a 461 on base, a five or eleven slugging. He was the minor league hitter of the month for April for the Brewers and he hasn't slowed down since. Um, He, I swear, every time I look, if he isn't hitting a couple doubles, he has stolen a couple bases. Um, He is always doing something noteworthy in the box score. Um, He's been playing very good defense. He actually had an outfield assist today in his game on Sunday. Um, so if you're going to pick one, I could give you a few to watch for, but if you want to watch one, who's been incredibly interesting, Segovia, another one who I just want to give a quick mention for in terms of pitching is Bowden Francis, a college pitcher who was drafted last year, 286 ERA, um, 22 innings, 22 strikeouts, and only one walk so far. Um, very, very good season. So those are two.
1: Well I encourage everybody to uh, to see what you do really on it ever uh, you know everybody at Brew crewball does a great job obviously but the stuff that you do with the minor leagues keeping it up to date on, on your Twitter and then the stuff that you put out on the website every day I, I don't know how you have all the time for it obviously as a, as a labor of love give a pitch for uh, for everything that you've got going on over there at Brew crewball
3: uh, well, of course, we always have the minor league daily report, so every morning you can check out. we always have something going on um I'm currently working er on a profile of uh the hitters that she or the minor league players that could be knocking on the door um I just did one on second base and the struggles that we're seeing there, and the minor leagues players knocking on the door there. Um, I am always doing uh, breaking news and watching the minor league situation. So I'll always update you on what's happening there in terms of health and movement and things among that nature. And we're always looking for different stories to cover. So as things become points of conversation, I'll of course be adding those um, to the list, but you can definitely respect every morning, every single morning um, on the very ruin or rare instances. It's not me. Someone else has me covered that you're going to get a minor league top prospect and top performer update every morning on the um blog all
1: right great stuff encourage people to check you out uh, on twitter at uh brew crew blue also uh we got to get the uh got to get the jakewood stuff going that's we we've we found genius during the course of this conversation
3: right well something good always happens when we get together so this is it today we're taking this is great (laughs) so we're moving forward with
1: it there you go appreciate the time as always thank you for your insight thank you matt brad Ford joining us for a nice long conversation as we generally get with him and appreciate him taking a few moments with us here is what's going to be going down this week for the brewers again monday is an off day and then they will get back at it on Tuesday and Wednesday for a two-game series against the Cleveland Indians. Tuesday will be a 6-40 start, and then Wednesday will be a 12-10 start. The very quick five-game homestand will then come to an end, and uh, they are going to head west. West and then uh, back in these general neck of the woods, I guess you could say, at the end of the road trip. But it will start with a four-game set in Colorado that begins on Thursday. Then they have a three-game set in Arizona coming up uh, in uh, next week, and we'll talk more about that next week. So this week, two games against Cleveland, four games against Colorado. Of course, you're able to hear all of those games on 620 WTMJ. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Brewers X-Trainings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Once again, we do want to say thank you to our guest, Nicholas Zettel from uh, BP Milwaukee and also uh, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. Great stuff from uh, both those folks. If you do want to get in contact with me, feel free to uh, tweet at me, at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Thanks so much for uh, being tuned in. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We're powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.